Hello, I'm Maryam. And I'm Momina. We have been friends since the seventh grade. And over the last 16 years, we have shared a mutual love of Harry Potter and a general apathy towards Stephen Moffat. But like all things, our obsessions have changed. Momina is into fantasy novels, video games, and songs that make her miserable. Mariam has a love for pop music, fitness, and mindless internet content. In this podcast, we'll do a deep dive on something our friend loves. Maybe we'll end up loving it too. Welcome, Welcome to my, my friend's secret, secret obsession. All right, are we live? We are live. We are basically recording our last podcast of the year. That's true. It will be the last one that's aired. I'm not sure if it's the last one that's actually being recorded. <laughs> that is so true. I do feel like we I'm killing the magic. It. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Momina. Like, <laughs> don't sorry. be spoiling the, the podcast magic. We're seeing behind the curtain. Yeah. This is all too, like, fourth wall. This is all too Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's yeah. all too Wizard of breaking Oz. I don't want to break the fourth wall. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of breaking the fourth wall... I have yeah. been watching a lot of Fleabag recently. Um, and it's really what? amazing. Have you seen it? Fleabag? No. Oh, it's a show. It's by Phoebe Waller-Bridges. She's the one who writes Killing Eve as well. She's like this great comedy voice. And it's like a British comedic show, like, you know, six episodes per season, that kind of thing. And her whole mm. conceit is that she breaks the fourth wall a lot in the show. And I really like it. It's ah. sort of like a weirdly um, empowering show where like a woman is the lead and she fucks up a lot and she's messy and she's hugely unlikable and so yeah you might want to give it a go <laughs> i will i really find it difficult to like start or watch shows that are smart or are super mm-hmm. high involvement like everybody keeps talking about the queen's gambit i know you talked about it and i've been meaning mm-hmm. to start it because everybody in my friend group is just talking about it right they're talking about the queen's gambit and they're talking about the crown and they're talking about diana and i'm like oh sure but it's just so difficult for me to start these shows. I always end up watching something completely stupid because frankly, yeah. like that's what I want in life. <laughs> I know. I think Queen's Gambit and Fleabag, I wouldn't categorize them as smart shows. Like to me, like a smart show or like a heavy involvement show is like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos or The Wire. But these, it, you know, I like these um, mini series kind of things where it's like six episodes and you're done and then you can move on with your life. Mini series are the best. Mm-hmm. they really are they're for people like us who just do not have time who has time to like i i watched the wire and sopranos when i was a teenager and i would not be able to sit through like seven seasons of a show at this point in my life because you just don't have time as an adult absolutely not so somebody on instagram reached out to me and they were like oh my god you're into bts you should totally watch this K drama because like in their mind if i'm accepting of bts i'll also be accepting of other like korean media Mm-hmm. But guess what? I was accepting of it. So I was like, you know, might as well, because I want something to watch, but I don't really want to watch something that's super smart. So I hmm. did end up watching that K-drama and that's what I'm watching right now. And it's just such an easy watch because it's so it predictable. And you know, sappy? I love cliched, predictable, sappy things. Yes, it's a rom-com right. in its entirety. It's literally about uh, these characters, these extras in a comic book. But mm-hmm. they're sort of sentient, so they realize that they're Ooh. extras in, the, in a comic book. And so what they're trying to do is change uh, the story. 
so that it features them and uh, the writer makes better choices for their life. It's oh my kind God. of, I mean, I love the setting. Yeah. This is actually oh. a really common theme in K-dramas, apparently. Like people realizing they're like f- fictional characters being sentient? Yeah. Ooh, that's so interesting. It reminds me of this old movie called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, um, which is basically these two Shakespearean characters realize that they're in a Shakespeare play. Um, and it's very sort of weird and, yeah, interesting that way. Um, but yeah, that sounds yeah. super interesting. I am PMSing these days. So just like five <laughs> hours ago, my Google search was sappiest romantic movies ever, 2020. Um, oh my God, <laughs> share, share. Because I feel like, I feel like people don't make rom-coms anymore. I don't think rom-coms are popular anymore because that's true. Uh, the rom-com genre has sort of evolved to uh, like Netflix shows or like Netflix movies, but that's nobody's true. doing blockbuster rom-coms anymore. Yeah, but I wasn't even looking for romantic comedies. I was just looking for romance movies. That's how bad my BMS is right now. And I stumbled upon this one called Call Me By Your Name. Ah, is it the one with uh, Timothy Shabadabadu? Yes, or as my sister calls him, Temu Shalimar. Ah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be good. I'm excited to watch it. No, I've heard they're both really good. Both the white boys are really mm. good in it. Both white boys. Mm-hmm. When are they not? They own the world. Of course. I mean, with that much privilege, you better be good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, I mean, we are actually going to be talking about something super white today as well. Oh, yeah, super white. Super white. No matter how much it is retconned. Yeah, no matter how much it is retconned, just super straight, super white, super... What else? <laughs> <laughs> all the all the bad-isms. All the bad-isms. I just want to say, so, you know, usually, mm-hmm. um, I know Momina, uh, like, makes a script for herself when she does this podcast. And I maybe make, like, two bullet points and then just kind of wing it. And you can tell because she's way better mm-hmm. prepared. <laughs> like, she sounds a lot more eloquent. Whereas when I speak, I'm like... Eh. I was just thinking, you can't tell. Like, it would people are probably judging me right now saying, you have a script. But in all <laughs> fairness, I have, like, five bullet points for, like, five categories. And that's all I have as well. Oh, my God. You have categories. Damn. I do. So I break it down by our segment. And I have, like, a couple of things that I have to say about each segment. So today... For my intro, my thing said flea bag, and I worked that in very seamlessly. Wow. <laughs> For my intro, I always have K pop, so you know. <laughs> I think your entire script is just K pop, just like a bullet point list of 25 interesting things about K pop. I'm bold of you to assume that I'm gonna need a script to talk about K pop, because like this bitch <laughs> is just gonna go off a rocker. I like don't need no script. <laughs> What I was trying to say, so I have like one document where I just write down points for the podcast. Like I don't have a different one for every episode. And so for, for our last episode, I literally have three bullet points. Each are like like two worded. Like one bullet point says little details Ooh. and one bullet point says no father figure. And the third bullet point says everyone flawed. And so I basically just go off this. But for today's <laughs> podcast, I think I have like around 20 really detailed Ooh. Pointers. Big brain time. Big brain. No, I don't think it's a big brain thing. I just think it's a catharsis thing because like, should we just oh. introduce our topic? Because then it'll make a lot more sense. Sure thing. So the last podcast you heard was about Harry Potter loves. Now, this is a topic that me and Mariam talk about a lot, I think, throughout the podcast. It's even in our intro. Harry Potter was like a foundational thing for us. It was a big deal. It's what we bonded over. And it's what really sort of determined, at least for me, a lot of my um, 
my perception of the world, of relationships, of, you know, coming into my own, of coming of age, that kind of thing. And so the first one was the first part of this was Harry Potter Loves. And today, sadly, with a heavy heart, but also with a lot of catharsis and with, this is sort of like therapy for us, I think. This one is going to be Harry Potter Hates. Oh, man. So Mubin and I actually kind of debated over this because we're like, do we really want Harry Potter mm-hmm. Hates to be or last podcast that we put out in 2020 like we actually genuinely like talked about Mm -hmm. this for five minutes and then you know what we were like sure (laughs) this is what we feel in our heart of hearts yeah uh 2020 as a year has just been fucky it just makes sense for us to end it on that note (laughs) yeah if any year could be a good reflection of this topic and how hard this topic is for us it's 2020 yeah i think so it's quite fitting I think that in the last episode, we did mention that it's going to be like a love letter to Harry Potter and us kind of looking back on a relationship that didn't work out and saying, you know, maybe we did have good times and you were my first love and I learned a lot because of you. Just saying good and bad, learned all the right things and all the wrong things. Exactly. And this episode is going to be like after the breakup, you're sitting with your girlfriends and just bitching about your ex. Yeah, if that was a love letter, this is the strongly worded email that we are writing to the studio. (laughs) I love the difference in our analogies. (laughs) Because I was about to ask our listeners to just grab their vanilla ice cream or their like wine glasses and or light up a cigarette, you know, whatever. (laughs) Like however you go. For me, it's take out all your crisp white stationery, put on your reading glasses, (laughs) snuggle in Mm. and write a tersely worded email. Ah, for me, it is order a bunch of like shit food, like the worst food that I can think of. That's what I order and um, just put on something sappy or something really emotional or something that just makes me angry and just kind of let it all out. (laughs) Now you're describing PMS, I think. (laughs) Well, (laughs) breakups are like PMS. They are. They're like, yeah, an extended PMS, a PMS of the soul. (laughs) (laughs) break up to the pms of the soul you heard it here first words of wisdom (laughs) if we ever get merch i want that on a t-shirt done i think we should flag this up because we tend to forget the shit we talk about in our own podcasts (laughs) that's true (laughs) so where are we starting today there's just so much to talk about there's so much to talk about and i actually start the bullet points that i wanted to start with i'm super prepared today moment i think you should be proud of me Ooh. So excited. So I thought that, okay, let's start with something that is a little bit more tame. And then as the episode progresses, mm-hmm. we can like let our inner bitches out. Mm-hmm. Because I know everybody ultimately wants us to talk about JK Rowling. But, you know, just we're going to make you wait for it. Just wait. It's coming. It's, it's coming. It's coming. Okay. So I'm going to start with something very, very tame and talk mm-hmm. about some plot holes in Harry Potter. Ooh, like the time turner? Yeah, the time turner will actually be something that we can really get into and really talk about in depth. But yeah. I'm, I'm something sure. that has really bothered me and something that I'm thinking of right away is the invisibility cloak. And the fact that it's a fucking oh, yeah? hallow, it's a deathly hallow. But Mad-Eye Moody's mm-hmm. magic eye could fucking look through it. Like, how is that possible? Ooh. And the fact that Mad-Eye Moody, who is like the badass defense against the dark arts, grand meister, whatever, couldn't differentiate between just a cloak that has been enchanted to be invisible and whatever the fuck the invisibility cloak was. Because a big deal is made in the books about how 
This isn't just a curse or like a bewitching spell or something that makes it like that. It is something special. And so, yeah, that's very interesting. How could a hallow be so not hallowed? Exactly. <laughs> How could it be so pedestrian? How could it be just like mm-hmm. something that a fucking magic eye could look through? Yeah, that is so true. I never thought about that. See, you have like this attention to detail with these books that I just don't. <laughs> and even I feel like I think about some relationships a certain way and then you throw away like one line and I'll think about it for days. Oh my God, <laughs> give me an example. <laughs> well, I think... A lot of times, like, we have had these um, discussions about Hermione because perhaps it's also the fact that I haven't revisited these books in a very long time. But I somehow thought that um, J.K. Rowling was making Hermione more palatable throughout the course of the book. Like, I really hated that sort of makeover thing at the Yule Ball. I hated the fact that once when her teeth got bewitched, she asked... Um, Madame Pomfrey to, you know, keep going until her teeth were not oversized anymore. So I thought there was this thing of, you know, making her prettier so that she's more acceptable. Um, But you really brought out this idea that actually, no, um, you know, J.K. Rowling talks about how Hermione was just, you know, coming into her own and, you know, she had autonomy and she was exercising her power and that there's nothing wrong with self-improvement. I think I get my ideas about self-improvement from this quote from Fight Club where he says self-improvement is masturbation. Like it's sort of this selfish act and it's sort of, um, it, it doesn't service anybody but you and it's vain and it's sort of useless and unnecessary. Um, but you made me sort of realize that actually, no, I mean, those things are not something we need to hate female characters about. Um, it, it's something to be admired that people are working to improve themselves. And, not, and even if it is vain in some sense, What's wrong with that? And then, so I think these are sort of some of the things that you just, you have a throwaway line and I think about it for ages. Oh my God, thanks. I don't even realize because most of the time oh I God. feel like I'm bullshitting my way through life. <laughs> so thank you for that. I feel so validated. Imposter syndrome. <laughs> but yeah, back to the invisibility cloak. So Mad Eye Moody can look through it, but that Death Eater couldn't like um, Accio it. Is that how you say it? Accio, Axio. Yeah. I say Akio. They say Asio, Akio. I say Akio as yeah. well, yeah. I think in the Harry Potter game, they say Asio, and that just the sounds fuck? weird to me. No. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, how could Mm-mm. it not be Akio, but Mad Eye Moody can look through it? So yeah, that's something tame to start with. Like, what the fuck? That's a plot hole. Yeah, I never thought about that. That is a huge plot hole. And as you say, there's so many big ones as well, but um, there's a lot of small ones, especially what, you know, um, I'm not going to remember this super well now because this was just thrown together, but um, J.K. Rowling has those um, laws of magic where, you know, you can't produce something out of thin air and, you know, there's all of these little magical rules that she sets for her universe. And a universe is only as strong as the rules that like bound it. But she basically (laughs) ignores them whenever it's convenient all the time. Mm. I don't remember when she broke them because I know you cannot produce food, but you can transfigure things if you would like something else. Yeah. So I wonder how sort of um, poverty works in the context of this, you know, like if you can transfigure things into something better, like birds into goblets. And I don't know, it just seems something... Really weird. Let me just read the magical rules. I have the list open in front of me, I think. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so no, but you're so right. You're so right. Because, you know, mm-hmm. when you talk about what's wrong with Harry Potter, you kind of really have to look at the Weasley family and see how did they get there or how are they? how is the Weasley family different from the Malfoy family? 
Yeah, like even something as simple as uh, Harry's glasses being fixed by Reparo. But then yeah. why are the Weasleys so shabbily dressed? Why can't their dress robes be fixed? I know we see an instance where yeah. um, Ron wears those like horrible robes because they've tried to be, you know, magicked into something better and they look ridiculous. Yeah. But I'm sure that within the confines of those rules, you could make something better out of it. I mean, you can undo the magic and try again or something. I don't know. It's just like really strange. Yeah. Also, why was Ron using Charlie's old wand? And why did Charlie need a new wand? Yeah, even if he broke it, because why would Ron get... Because the wand chooses the wizard. We know that. Yeah. And obviously, Ron's wand didn't work for him. Yeah. But I don't know. Wands are super expensive. But maybe you could magic something else out of thin air and use... I don't know. It's just really... Sp- I don't understand how money works in Harry Potter, basically. And of and of all things where Weasleys could like, you know, save money for themselves, they're saving money over a wand. Like, isn't that the a basic fucking wand, wizard the thing need? that makes you a wizard? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So stupid. Oh, so stupid. Like maybe don't get them an expensive watch on their birthday, <laughs> Molly. Maybe just get them a learn wand to so budget. they can protect themselves. It's, learn to budget and wow, we're sounding very like <laughs> Republican. <laughs> Pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's strange. Like, priorities. Yeah. Are we finished with this topic? Because I want to move on to, like, another one that's a ki- that's kind of tame. Oh, I like I like this sort of tame going. Because I'm, like, full of vitriol and anger. Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're only 20 minutes into the podcast. So I kind of want to start easy. I kind of want to ease into this. Yeah. Okay, so um, a Reddit user, Ward City, made a really valid point. And I was like, oh, my God, as a jock, I Brilliant. totally get that. <laughs> I'm still going with the okay. whole jock thing. Yeah, it's not working. It's like Hermione calling herself a jock, by the way. That's just so <laughs> weird. But continue. That is so funny. I'm sorry. But anyway, so Ward City says Wow. That the worst sin that JK Rowling committed was Quidditch itself. Because Ooh. probably JK Rowling doesn't understand. Controversial. Yeah, it is super controversial. But they say that J.K. Rowling probably doesn't understand sport enough to be making Quidditch up. Ooh. Because of the snitch? Well, one, because of the snitch. Because why would Mm -hmm. Crumb purposely catch the snitch and end the match? Like, if he's the best seeker in the world, wouldn't he know how to sort of bamboozle his opponent? Delay it. Delay it. Yeah. Or swerve and, like, wait till their points Yeah, because worst case scenario... Yeah, worst case scenario, you're going to not catch the snitch in an attempt to delay it, in which case you're going to lose. Or if you get it, you lose by default. But maybe it's because he wants to... Because, you know, the whole thing was everyone was saying, ooh, Crumb will catch the snitch, but they'll lose. So maybe he wants that glory for himself. I don't know. Maybe he's such a narcissist, although he didn't seem like a narcissist He didn't seem like a narcissist. Yeah, he seemed like a good guy. He didn't, yeah. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, 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 I understand that. Because you're, because uh, Harry, Harry is not the brightest bulb and not the sharpest, um, what is the thing, the sharpest tool in the drawer or whatever, <laughs> but he has employed that strategy many times where he tries to delay it because his team hasn't made enough, you know, goals to, for them to win. So yeah, you would think a, a world level athlete would have the same strategy. During a World Cup, no less. Yeah. So what are some of the other qualms about Quidditch? 
It's just, uh, so uh, other people pointed out that why is the seeker the most important? Like, why is the seeker's skill the most important? Because if you think about it, I mean, shouldn't scoring a goal be super, super hard? Like, you, if they compared it to football, soccer for Americans, like, it, doesn't that take a lot of skill? Yeah, it's almost like that sport was constructed entirely to make Harry even more special than he already was. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. It's the chosen yeah. one. So this, like, oh my god, this was created my for chosen the chosen one, one. Is good at the sport, and if he wins, he gets one fifty points. Oh my god! It's like Dumbledore saying, "And you get a point, and you get a point, and you get a point, and none for Slytherin." <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Dumbledore is the Oprah of the magical world. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I think I think that's oh. offensive to Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Oprah. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't, yeah, I don't know enough about Oprah, but I don't think that she's chose like a baby as a scapegoat for her greater good plan. Well, that's true. Well, are you saying Nate Burkus was not the chosen one and was not like raised as a pig to slaughter? I sure I'm hope not. Shit up now. But to be fair, like everybody <laughs> that she's introduced has become like, you know, internet frenemies. So who knows? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, we need to do that Dr. Phil episode someday. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. So basically coming back to Harry Potter, Quidditch does not make sense. The fundamental sport of the wizarding world does not make absolutely sense. does not make sense. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's true. Do you have any Dame hates? Well, my hates are... Well, so it's not really a hate, but I want to get into something that um, I was thinking about a lot in the week leading up to this discussion. Yeah. Um, there's some characters that I do not like, and I think they're slightly problematic, but I think that it made me investigate the fact that there's a difference between unlikable characters and problematic characters. Yeah. And so I think people like Sirius Black, where he's sort of, Mm -hmm. he's not problematic. He's just unlikable because I love Sirius. He's one of my favorites, (laughs) but in terms of what he stands for, yeah. he's sort of living vicariously through his godson, and he, he. I don't. I really don't think that Sirius cares for Harry as a godson. He cares for Harry in terms of you know the friend that he lost and what he means um, in terms of his freedom or what he means in terms of his um, his way out of uh, captivity or even just in terms of um, him getting to experience that freedom in some way. So, you know, in those in that sense, he's a problematic character. Also, Hermione, I think I think about her a lot in terms of being problematic because she's so vindictive. She is just yeah. sort of a dickhead sometimes. You know, she curses that she piece is. of paper, which gives that um I forget oh, what that man. girl is called, but she gets scarring on oh, her man. face permanently for life. And that was horrible. It was. Her whole thing with Ron and like the birds who, you know, she made attack Ron. And then even the whole thing with Spew. I'm sorry, (laughs) S-P-E-W. Sorry, Hermione. I won't do that again. Um, But it's just the sort of white savior thing, (laughs) which is, I don't know. I think Hermione sort of verges between problematic and unlikable for me. Having said that, obviously, I've grown up with these books. So I hugely (laughs) love Hermione um, as well. But it's just... I don't know. Do you think she's problematic or unlikable in some ways or what? I want to talk about Sirius first because um, I think about that Mm -hmm. a lot. Whether he is unlikable Mm -hmm. or problematic. And I really like him. But I think that we 
encountered Sirius as a character when we were these like preteen girls. So we were bound to like a character like that who's like super cool, kind of reckless, kind of a bad boy, but hasn't done anything that's super bad. Right? So it's like a ba- bad, yeah. bad boy image, but a good boy heart. <laughs> right? So we were still mm. like... Yeah. So that's why we were in awe of Sirius. But you're so right. Um, he looked at Harry as like a replacement for James. And he's just like a yeah. perpetual teenager. Like he peaked in high school and just... Well... <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But they to be all fair peaked though, in high school that entire lot. Yeah. But, I mean, to be fair, he was he was such a good friend, though, because he really didn't get to explore his life outside of high school. Because, like, right after high school, the whole thing happens with James and Lily's death. And mm. so he lives his life in hiding. So he really didn't get a yeah. shot at life. So I can't really blame him. So, yeah, serious Black. I do believe that he loved Harry. Even if it was for James, I do believe that he loved Harry. But yeah, I feel like there was a lot of character development that he did not experience. So I cannot really blame him for being the way that he was. Yeah. And it's interesting that you think we liked Sirius because he was sort of a bad boy. But I feel personally that I liked him because he was like this gateway. Like who doesn't think of having a cool uncle who's like sends you expensive gifts and who's here to listen to you and sends you letters all the time and thinks of you. And so I think for me, it was that sort of magical thing of, you know, discovering that you have this um, relative, really, who cares about you so much and who who goes, who is also a link to your parents in a way and who's a link to your legacy, to your history and mm-hmm. can tell you about your past. And, and so I think in that way, he's, he's a pretty magical character as well. I would never think of Sirius Black mm-hmm. as like my uncle because I hope for sure not. I never think of him as my relative because uh, like TMI, but Sirius Black was my sexual awakening. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yep. Interesting. Scar from The Lion King was mine, I think. And David Bowie in Labyrinth. Jesus but We can discuss Christ. that another day. Jesus Scar, Christ. though, come on. Oh, my God. That's normal. Oh, my God. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck, Momina? I haven't felt this judged since our fanfic um, erotic literature episode. I did not judge Just you point that out. at all. <laughs> you didn't. I judged myself. <laughs> But I'm going to judge you a little bit right now. Even though I've heard a lot of people say that, so I'm kind of playing this up a bit. (laughs) It's not the first time I'm hearing this. (laughs) Yeah, Scar is like a 10 on 10 stud. But anyway, (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not a furry thing. (laughs) It totally sounds like a furry thing. And you saying it's not a furry thing (laughs) makes it even more sus. (laughs) The lady doth protest too much. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I can see that as serious. So tell me some of your other like small hates or if you want to go on to Hermione. I do want to go on to Hermione for a little bit because um, Uh I think that in a lot of ways, Hermione was, you know, she was hella smart, but she was also not very open minded because, you know, but I also kind of love that because she would come to accept that she's wrong. And that's what I loved. But it took her a while to get there. And that's why I feel like Ron is a good match for her because Ron would question her and be like, listen, this is not how the world works. What you're thinking is absolutely utopic. Hmm. And also, you know, when she did something brilliant and she would prove him wrong as well. So I liked that they kind of grounded each other 
Yeah, but she was very smug when she was right. And she was right a lot. Yep. She was right about Creature, for example. Um, yeah. You know, if you treat him like shit, he's going to, you know, he's going <laughs> to fuck your life up. She was right about, yeah. what else was she right about? She was right about Scabbers, I think. She used to not yeah. like Scabbers. And in fact, there's, um, there's uh, you know, um, in the books, I think um, Crookshanks, they think that Crookshanks has killed Scabbers. Yeah. And Hermione is very blasé about I it. I know. She was, she was, I'm sorry, she was r- <laughs> really annoying through the whole Crookshanks Scabbers thing. But she was also 13 at the time. So, yeah. like, whatever. <laughs> but she was also 13. That is yeah. true. Yeah. We're just figuring out our morality. She was, and yeah. she ended up, you know. She was also right about Harry not wanting yeah. <laughs> about not wanting Harry to go to Godric's Hollow because look what happened, Harry. Yeah, but Tilda Bagshot as a snake is something I never want to see again it's in my life. Frightening as fuck. That was a great creepy. Oh. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah. Damn, these books are so good. It makes me so sad. It's like you know, if you're in love with like I don't know Adam Driver and Adam Driver is your entire life, and then you find out that Adam Driver is a serial killer. And you're like, man, but those times I had with Adam Driver, those were good times. I think people are more accepting of serial killers <laughs> than they are of, like, problematic <laughs> men. True. Like, if you've done something which is mildly That's problematic, true. you're like, you're cancelled. But if you're a serial killer, you have a whole fucking fan club. Yeah, and you're like, oh, well, he did it because he was abused as a child. Well, a lot of people are abused as children, Linda. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't mean it's okay to kill people serially. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So there are a couple of things that I did write about Hermione. One was the whole snitch charm. Like, what the fuck, Hermione? That's not cool. Um, Another one was that she was such a bitch to Professor Trelawney. Like, you are in a magical fucking world. How are you so accepting of the fact that you can turn a needle into a fucking, like, cow, but seeing the future magically is, like, not okay? (laughs) Needle into a cow. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Jeez. Sh- yeah, that's true. And also, um, do you remember she was kind of an Asta Ferenz as well for the same reasons? Yeah, she's like, I don't like horses. One point she calls him a horse. Yeah, she calls yeah. literally calls Ferenz a horse. Jesus that Christ, racist just respectful. Fuck. Exactly. Xenophobic. Yeah. Jeez, Hermione. Just because, oh my God, she's so rational. Yeah. And the fact that she kidnaps Rita Skeeter and holds her hostage? What the fuck? Yeah, that's something I never thought about as a child reading it because you're primed to hate Rita Skeeter, but she was just doing her fucking job. She was like a Daily Mail gossip tabloid person. And she literally, she kept her imprisoned under duress in a fucking glass jar. Yeah. Jeez, Hermione, that's stone cold. That's sociopathic. Yeah. It I is, so. right? It is. As a child, I remember getting like a yeah. Justice Boner reading that. Like, Jesus. Yes. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? Oh my God, Momina, I'm sorry that I'm changing gears so quickly. I really didn't want to like get into the dark stuff right away. But since we are talking about getting Justice Boners, I remember as a child just being so happy when Umbra just carried away by the centaurs. But like, what the fuck? She definitely got <sighs> raped, right? Yes, that was what I was thinking as well. There is definitely an implication that she is raped by these centaurs and it's terrifying. And also this thing of like, I don't know, I I feel like J.K. Rowling does this, like, obviously, 
there's this implication that centaurs have their own sort of tribal justice system and even the implications yeah. of that are so like so messed up and so racist i feel in a way yeah so umbridge being carried off into the forest to be raped by like centaur men is just such a creepy implication it's racist as well because it speaks to this like tribal justice system and yeah it's there are some really dark things that we never considered in the books yeah i don't think i understood that but like retrospectively mm. knowing that she's carried away i mean what is the implication there jk rowling what the fuck yeah and umbridge was like not a great character i mean i'm sure the wonderful character but she was not a nice person but she, yeah. nobody deserves that and and of course she had some really weird um teaching methods and but you know at the end of the day sometimes now that i'm an adult and i'm not the sort of rebellious teenager i think about the fact that she was beholden to the ministry the ministry told her something and she was just doing her job she was a good you know, employee her job was to teach people yeah she was a good employee and she was teaching people to like not get ahead of themselves you know not to teach these teenagers how to defend themselves so that they think they're brave enough to go out there and fucking risk their necks which is something that Albus fucking Dumbledore would approve of because he's insane and he thinks that teenagers are okay collateral damage in the war against the dark yeah. lord but in in a way Umbridge was teaching them to be careful <laughs> and to not make them think that it was their responsibility to protect the world against evil and as an adult I would feel more comfortable having Umbridge as my child's teacher than having fucking Dumbledore. Do you know what I mean? I do. I think teaching methods at Hogwarts yeah. could be just an episode of its own. Yeah, insane. I would never send my child to Hogwarts. Uh, Where would you go? Would you go to Durmstrang, Bobatons or Hogwarts? Bobatons, for sure. Yeah, same. It seems so fun. It, it seems does. like nice and lovely and like it has this feminist vaginal energy. <laughs> oh my god, that's what it is. <laughs> know, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and like uh, madam what's her face she seems so badass yeah what's her name madam what's her name i don't know yeah while we're on this subject of feminism can we talk about Ginny? because i did some thinking over this week over why <sighs> i don't like her because we've talked about this for years and years we have marie and i have spoken about because when we first started off we hated Ginny, and then mm. when we were sort of coming into our own as women and as feminists we began to think well maybe we didn't like Ginny because you know we were all very sort of oh I'm not like other girls and um or or that Ginny seemed to be like that or you know that we were sort of it was this internalized misogyny that was making us hate Ginny but um I think you and I have similar conclusions about it now do um, we I would love to hear your take on it. <laughs> I was thinking of why I don't like Ginny and you know one thing that we have concluded mm-hmm. over the years is because we don't really get to see her progression because one day she's like a Harry yeah. Potter fan girl and the next day it's like bam she's this badass feminist chick supposedly yeah one day she's like putting her elbow in butter like fawning over Harry Potter and the other she's making out with every guy and she's badass and she does the best ho- hexes to the extent that she's called to sit and dine with um Slughorn and it's just like jarring yeah so i think one of the reasons why you know just because i've been thinking about this episode a lot this week is i think jinny one of the reasons why i don't like jinny is that she is an analog herself she is the epitome mm-hmm. of the analog i'm not like other girls and she also hates yeah. the women around her 
she name calls all the women around her like she's one of the first people to Especially, call Luna Lovegood Looney yes yes and she's very bitchy to Fleur because Fleur oh apparently God. is feminine and that's shitty yeah and she's also very rude to Hermione <laughs> she's very rude to Hermione like we learn right off the bat that these are two strong women with opposing schools of thought so they're not going to get along hmm but also just other yeah. girls like Romilda Wayne, um, uh, her, uh, Ron's girlfriend. What was her name? Lavender Brown. She hates all the women yeah. around her. And she only defends Luna yeah. later on. I don't even know if they were like proper friends, if, if they were fake friends or if she was just defending her because she's in the double O's army. Um, hmm. But yeah, I don't think she had female friendships around her. Um, yeah. And we only saw the contrary. She hated all the women around her. Yeah, and, and they made, make a big deal about, oh my God, Jenny's so strong because she's grown up with all these brothers. So the only thing that sort of makes her strong and interesting is the fact that she acts like a man. Yeah, big dick energy. Which is very problematic to me. And <laughs> exactly, she has big dick energy. And, and, and I think you and I tried to sort of grapple with our hatred of Ginny for a while because I think yeah. when you're a feminist, you have this, you always have this awakening where you feel like, oh, am I a bad feminist because I hate this woman? Yeah. Or am I a bad feminist if I feel this way towards this certain woman or I hate my female boss or, you know, all of those things. And yeah. I think you and I have come to realize now that we just hate Jenny because she's a badly written character and she's actually a very anti-feminist character because yeah. she hates women. And she the only thing that makes her special is the fact that she has big dick energy and acts like a man. And that's not acceptable. Yeah. I think... Because, you know, I was really like, listen, you know, for no. for the longest time, I literally thought it was internalized misogyny. And now I realize that nah, yeah. there's just generally nothing likable about her. It's the same thing that you said earlier. Is she unlikable or is she problematic? And I've decided that she is yeah. problematic. Yes, I would agree with that 100%. And I think you have taught me to love Hermione more than I would have. Because <laughs> I used to think that Hermione fell into the anti-feminist man-pleasing not like other girls trap mm. but actually Hermione is very she stands very strongly in her own power as a woman mm. she is feminine she is smart she is kind of you know complex she's a great character morally because she's smug when she's right and she's vindictive and all of those other things but it doesn't make her problematic mm. it makes her human whereas Ginny I think is yeah. just problematic she is yeah she's not doing it for me mm. And, like, also because, you know, Harry's the protagonist, so we sort of learn a lot about, like, Harry's view on the other characters. And, you know, internally, he does criticize Hermione, he does criticize Ron, he criticize, criticizes all the people around him, but he does not criticize Ginny when she's being problematic. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, I think, like, one of the great things about the trio is that they are, they're not they're complicated and, and and a lot has been made in the books about how complicated they are. Ron sort of deserts when it gets too hot. Yeah. Hermione is uh, too full of herself sometimes. Harry is completely irrationally angry and he has this like chosen one complex because he yeah. is the chosen one. <laughs> and, um, and you investigate that throughout the books and in many different ways and through many different people. And Jenny just starts off meek. It's yeah. unearned is what it is. It's when characters have successes or progress that is unearned, it's very hokey. And I don't think audiences respond to that. Yeah. I just think like uh, JK Rowling wanted Harry to be just like this teenage boy who has, or like who shows interest in girls. And she just didn't want to write another character that she would put in the forefront. 
But also, I dislike the fact that everybody in the Harry Potter universe ends up marrying their high school sweetheart. What the fuck? But they're, yeah, also, like, even, like, Neville and Luna and, like, all these people. Okay, not for Luna, because Luna Neville married... and Luna are not canon. No, no, Neville, uh, Luna marries, uh, what's his face, Newt Scamander. And to me, that... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, or Newt Scamander's son or something, I don't know. Is that right? Mm, yeah, I guess. I don't know, I don't remember. But yeah, it's just weird that they mm. marry some... Like, it's so incestuous to me. Like, they all marry someone who's famous <laughs> or, like, well-known or... Yeah, it's weird. Mm. Because people... Also, yeah, the fact nobody that they, just fades into obscurity yeah, <laughs> in the, and nobody, in the like, Harry Potter universe. doesn't marry. Because, like, not marrying is an option too, J.K. Rowling. Like, your life isn't... Exactly. Isn't, isn't finished when you marry someone. Oh like God, you can I've just, never thought about that. Yeah, they all marry and have kids and stuff. Because apparently that's what... That's what white privilege teaches you is the only way to, <laughs> to exist. It's so strange. Damn. I think we can now move on to the big ones, right? Yes, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know which one to go into first. Yeah. Uh, the treatment of Slytherins or the treatment of Hagrid? Oh my god, let's go into Hagrid because genuinely, genuinely, okay. Hagrid is the best person. Like if Hagrid was a dog, he would be the <sighs> best boy. You know what I mean? And it's weird that I think of dogs as men. I think that's what Hagrid has written as. I think Hagrid has written as a dog. Yeah, he is a dog. He's an adorable, loyal, motherfucking, sweet as fuck, good boy. And he's a good boy. And I hope he knows that he's a good boy. (laughs) But yeah, they treat Hagrid. Do you remember when Aragog dies and the trio are so like blasé? Oh my god, I literally have in my notes. I literally have in my notes their treatment of Hagrid as quote unquote less than. Yes. Especially Aragog. Especially Aragog. Because oh, well, Aragog sorry, meant... Like my volume just went way up. I need to hold my <laughs> mic further away from myself. But I'm passionate, okay? No, I understand it. Because when, like, Aragog means so much to Hagrid. And Aragog is, like, in Chamber of Secrets, you understand the history of it and how important it is to Hagrid. And when Aragog passes away, they're also shitty to him. They're like, lols, I'm not gonna go because it's a fucking spider. Go fuck yourselves, trio. Yeah, they were, and you know when they, he cooks for them all the time, <sighs> and they're like, "Oh my god, his cooking sucks." Yeah, like he, he opens his home for them. He's motherfucking cooking for you, bitches, and he's making. He's yeah. yeah. What's the bread called that they eat? It's too hard for them. I don't know. Rock cakes. Oh man, yeah. But I feel like Hagrid is treated very unfairly, and yeah. He's been through so yeah, much. Yeah, just like treated as a less than. Hmm. It just reminds me of, you know, how in our country, when these like Pasha's students, uh, you know, when they speak to somebody who is like be- beneath their status, mm-hmm. like beneath their class status, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, absolutely. Like they say, oh, well, you know, we're doing you a favor, Hagrid, by being friends with you because you are actually a fucking exactly. squib or whatever the fuck. You're not a squib, actually, but you've been expelled and so you're not at our... St- status and yeah i feel for hagrid so much because he's such a pure he's like a labrador if hagrid was a dog he wouldn't be a bloodhound he would be a motherfucking labrador golden retriever just happy to see you loyal as fuck and he loses so much in this friendship you know like he i don't know and i feel Mm. like always harry has an agenda like even with aragog's funeral hagrid you can see that hagrid Mm. is so overwhelmed by this love 
that he feels for Harry for being there for him for his you know his beloved yeah. pet's death but Harry's there for a fucking agenda he wants to get the truth out of Slughorn and it's so sad yeah and he's tragic. high on some fucking potion drugs or something yeah it's tragic it is Harry wasn't asked to Hagrid. Yeah. I know he did the whole Hagrid is ten times the man that you will ever be. You know, there's the whole speech. There's no Hogwarts without you, Hagrid. Yeah. <laughs> that was the movie, though. <laughs> that was the movie, yeah. But it's the same speech that Ginny gives to the DA uh, about not calling Luna Looney when she's the one who started the whole trend. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Mean girls. I'm not giving you this character development, okay? You didn't earn it. Yeah, you didn't earn It's unearned, absolutely. I also really want to talk about the houses mm-hmm. and how, like, why would you divide students based on things that they haven't earned or learned yet? Yeah. Like, how do you declare as an 11-year-old that this person is brave, this person is loyal, this person is smart, and this person is cunning? That's true. Like, the fuck? At 11, I just want to do a little experiment. At 11, what did you think you would... You, what house would you be sorted into? 100% Gryffindor because the protagonists are Gryffindor. Why wouldn't I be Gryffindor? Right. Jesus. At 11, I think I would be sorted into Ravenclaw. But now I think I am 100%. Oh, you mean for reals? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for, my God. Real. Yeah. I thought... Oh, I thought you meant which house I wanted to be in. No, no, no. Because I think what you are at 11 is so fundamentally different from what you are at 20, 30, 40. But at 11, I think I would think I was a Ravenclaw because I thought the world was very sort of black and white. And, ooh, I'm smart because I came first in class or whatever the shit. And I would have thought that I would be Ravenclaw. But now, knowing myself, I think I'm a Slytherin. And so, what do you think you would be? Bitch, same. Right? Same. (laughs) I thought it was, uh, I would have been a Ravenclaw at 11 and now I'm a fucking Slytherin. Bitch. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Although even today when I I sometimes periodically have this like, you know, (laughs) need to sort myself officially and I'm always a Ravenclaw, but deep down inside, I think I know I'm a Slytherin and it's like, you know, the wand chooses the wizard, the sorting hat chooses who it thinks you are or who you want to be. And I think I'm a Slytherin. Mm. But yeah, it's like at 11, who the fuck knows what you're going to be? And it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If you have a child and you sort them into Ravenclaw and you say, oh my God, you're so smart. Then they're going to live up to that. They're going to study extra hard and they're going to try to be rational in every life decision that they face. And and so it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yeah, it's completely messed up. It also reminds me of all these personality tests that these companies tend to take before they hire somebody. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, how can you figure out what this person is about based on some fucking personality tests? Like, that is so bullshit to me. Yeah, it's like the Briggs-Meyer test. Do you know the Briggs-Meyer test? Yeah. Yeah. So like when I was a kid and I used to take it, I was like, I think INTJ is introverted, which I am, intuitive, I think I am, thinking, definitely judging. I'm a hugely judgy person. And I I thought, (laughs) oh my god, I'm so like cerebral, and I'm such a rational person, and I don't like people, and that makes me special. (laughs) And for a while, I thought that I was this person, and and I sort of, everything I did was like a reflection of that, was like a consequence of what my self perception was. Yeah. And so I think it's the same with these sorting people into houses in, yeah. in Hogwarts where you think, oh, I'm the smart one, so I must make a rational decision. I'm the brave one, so I must be brave right now. And it's kind mm-hmm. of messed up that you were 
basically priming these children to make it decisions is. that they like they feel like they owe to their community or yeah it's, it's yeah weird like Hermione could very well be Ravenclaw that is something that J.K. Rowling you know she also had the outliers yeah but maybe just to prove that there could be outliers and children can be everything and they can be all the houses Yeah. So Hermione could might Hermione might as well have been a Ravenclaw. Cedric might as well have been a Gryffindor because he was brave as fuck. Yeah, Cedric was like so much of a Gryffindor that it's like yeah. But he was also like yeah. Can I just talk about the port? Like, what did you think of Cedric Diggory the first time you read him, read off him in the books? Did you hate him? I didn't hate him. I just didn't think much of him. Like hmm. he's just another boy in school. I thought the same of Cedric Diggory. As I thought of Justin Filcho Fletchley or whatever the oh, fuck wow, his name was, so you know, white ass fucking name. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, this is just another Hogwarts student, like an extra. <laughs> wow. Because I remember disliking Cedric because I thought he was like, um... <laughs> actually, if you think about it, Cedric is a better, like, chosen one, quote unquote, than Harry Potter because he's selfless and you know. great power comes to those who least want it and all that crap and I, on my rereads i really respect cedric because he was nothing but good and moral and fair yeah. and sort of sportsmanly and i am surprised at how much i hated him initially because it was like oh my god he's pitted against the you know the lead character this guy that i really like and but yeah i really like that there was some it's weird that um pitting such a good moral character against the lead worked in that series for me but yeah cedric was amazing he was a good guy i think in our previous podcast i called him the net stark of the harry potter universe yes. where he's just yeah too noble to be, to survive oh maybe that's true yeah maybe that's the lesson there because that he's just like <laughs> you need to have some darkness in you to succeed in life maybe that is the overlying message of harry potter is that you have to be slightly messy to defeat the dark lord you have to be basically a horcrux basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> forget complexity <laughs> just like have a part of your of the antagonist's soul in you and you will be fine jesus <laughs> mariam do you think it's time to like for us to investigate the really gritty grimy shitty things about harry potter <laughs> absolutely i think we are further i mean we're far enough into the podcast now that we can start letting our inner bitches out yes Go for it. You start. Oh man. What do you want me to start with? I don't know. I thought it would be interesting to talk about how some of the characters are so tropey, like, you know, like the <laughs> goblins are very Jewish, Fuck. you know, quote unquote, in the way that they're sort of obsessed with money and sort of yeah. and and the house elves are like a slave race and The werewolves. Werewolves are, yeah, they're a metaphor for AIDS and it's kind of... Problematic. It's, it's problematic. Yeah. Yeah, you cannot call it a metaphor for AIDS and have like the worst characters written as werewolves. Yeah, like Fenrir Greyback. Yeah, what no, the fuck? Yeah. Lupin is the exception. Yeah, so talk about that. Okay, so I mean, I I would have accepted the werewolf community in the Harry Potter universe if if J.K. Rowling mm -hmm. hadn't like told me that this was an analogy for AIDS, because it's not a very yes. good fucking anal analogy. Because you've it's not written werewolves as predator characters. 
who sort of live in the underworld yeah. and they prey on children and, you know, they're basically seeking revenge for what happened to them. So how is this a yeah. good analogy, J.K. Rowling? What the fuck? Absolutely. Especially, like, when you're talking about a vulnerable community that has been fucked over. And if you look at, like... um you know, AIDS in America, it's a very sort of uh, specific political context where the government was very anti-providing um, support to that community because of like the homosexual context. Um, and the fact that only one person out of everyone else, out of all the mm. werewolves, only Lupin was like the yeah. good guy. That's yeah. super fucked up. It is really fucked up. Just the whole backdrop with the werewolves and the fact, I, I don't even know. Just the whole backdrop, it was yeah. wrong. And imagine being so white and being so privileged <laughs> that you think you are doing the community of people who have AIDS and who live with AIDS on a daily basis. You think you're doing them a favor by yeah. representing them, like quote unquote representing them by having one good character, but everyone yeah. else is an asshole. Like imagine the privilege that it must take for you to think that that's a good thing. That's that's what surprises me about J.K. Rowling's, like, um, um, you know, depictions of certain groups of characters, groups of, like, vulnerable characters. Same with, like, Jewish people yeah. and goblins, because, like, you cannot convince me that I have made it up. You know, you cannot convince me that it's a, a coincidence that these goblins are a metaphor for Jewish people who are in control of, like, banking institutions and... Yeah. It's just so fucked up that you think that as a and white person... And have crooked noses. <laughs> absolutely. That you think that as a white person that you have represented, quote unquote. But mm. it's like, bro, what the fuck are you representing? You are not putting forward a realistic image, number one. And number two, you're not putting forward an image that, you know, creates a culture of empathy. It's mm. so messed up. Yeah. Like, honestly, a black author or a person of color would never think that that's an achievement, you know, because they mm. see the repercussions and the ramifications of racism and of stereotyping and pigeonholing vulnerable communities. It's so messed up to me. It is really messed up. And it is one of the biggest things that is problematic about Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. But also, this is problematic retrospectively, because now that she, you know, J.K. Yes. Rowling is just retconning so much of her, like, um, so much of canon. Um, if she yeah. hadn't told me all these things, I would have been like, I wouldn't have thought much about it. Because at the end of the day, it is a children's book. And, mm. you know... Because I also remember her talking about the fact that she created Dementors when she was in a deep depression after her mom's death. And I thought that's such a great metaphor. Like Dementors mm -hmm. as a metaphor for depression, I really like. Yeah, I still like that. Yeah. Yeah, but like for her to draw like comparisons and analogies with like actual people in this world and like their qualms and like, you know, reducing like all their suffering to like a werewolf metaphor and not doing yeah. a really good job with it? What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with her, like, being reductive. Because I think that at some point, like, fantasy is reductive, you know? Yeah. Because it is, you know, compressing and, you know, sort of summarizing all of the generational trauma of a group into, like, yeah. a certain fantastical thing. But the, the problem with me is that, like, everyone was bad and Lupin was the only good one. And yeah. actually, in terms of, like, um, goblins, 
I don't think that anyone was good because uh, they, they were all painted in a very bad light and thinking that that Absolutely. is sort of... Um, that, that the fact that you cannot ask, yeah, the fact that you cannot ask a favor of a goblin without there being a thousand strings attached, or the yes. fact that you know you cannot take a loan from a goblin without there <sighs> being interest or whatever, like the fuck. Yeah, yeah, and it's so strange that honestly, Mariam, I did not. I we were very young when we read those books, and we weren't aware mm-hmm. of like the political climate and like the context of it. But reading back, it's really uncomfortable. And it, it sort of tells me, you know, that like children's literature is uniquely yeah. terrifying because it <laughs> molds you in a way that you don't even realize. Like, I think exactly. it's in You've Got Mail, which is a movie I talk about a lot, which is a Nora Ephron movie. And she says that the things you read as a child mm-hmm. um, mold you in a way that is unprecedented that nothing yeah. you read as an adult will ever change your foundational yeah. underpinnings as a human being and for me like the fact that the thing that we you and I both were so fervently um in admiration of as kids was so deeply misogynistic and racist and problematic is like a very terrifying thing it really is. It's like the black mirror thing because now that my friends have children and mm-hmm. and anytime they kind of want to calm them down, they open up like their favorite TV show on their iPads. And mm-hmm. the fact that it's like it's like it's like a tranquilizer where they actually just calm yeah. the fuck down and they're so mesmerized by Peppa fucking Pig. Like you just wonder mm-hmm. that the makers of Peppa fucking Pig are probably super smart because they know what works <laughs> and what mesmerizes children. Yeah. yeah. And it's so scary because I feel like, um, honestly, like I love reading. I love watching movies. I have read a lot and watched a lot of movies, but nothing has affected me, for me as so much long. as Harry Potter has. Absolutely. And, so and I still think about it. But the fact that we have been reading these books since we were 11 and it's been so long, it's been like almost, you know, multiple decades. It's so scary. Were to you know 11? That. I was nine when I first read the book. I, I think I came to them late. I came to them when I think um, the second book was out. Um, ah. So I went straight from the first one to the second one. Um, but yeah, the fact that if we hadn't been like sort of critically thinking adults, we would have bought into this like misogyny and racism and it's it's just so terrifying it is terrifying can we also talk yeah. about because i'm sure we were going to come to it anyway but can we talk about our biggest problematic fave Ooh, what is it snape oh my god i have so many feelings about snape <laughs> can we start with something easier which is his treatment of neville because why was he so rude to neville I distinctly, distinctively yeah. remember this one time where he's, they're making like a shrinking potion, um, in class and he threatens Neville's mm-hmm. bet. Like that is such the abusive behavior. Trevor. That is yeah. textbook abusive behavior. Yeah. Snape is very complicated. Like honestly, like I feel like I enjoy Harry Potter as like on the one hand as a fan and on the, other hand is like a human being who has critical thoughts and stuff so but even within that Snape is problematic like I can forgive Hermione for all her shitty behavior as a fan Mm. but Snape is Mm. someone that (laughs) even as a fan it's kind of complicated what are your thoughts on Snape Jesus I just think he's problematic as fuck man 
Yeah. For reals. Yeah. He's problematic as fuck. First of all, I know he's like super in love with Lily, but he's also such an asshole to her. Yeah. Like she can't have her own life. She can't make her own decisions. Yeah. How are we to know that she, that he's in love with her when he's done nothing to show for it? I feel like Snape today would be like an incel. Like he would feel like, oh my God, I'm friend zone because the girl that I love is in love with a jock. And yeah, so it's very strange. But I feel like J.K. Rowling doesn't, like J.K. Rowling wants us to think that Snape has a tragic arc. Whereas I think Snake has a snake. snake. (laughs) That's stunning. (laughs) The truth comes out. (laughs) There we go. But I feel like Snape has like an arc which... uh, like, nothing that happened to him was not a consequence of what he himself manifested, right? He was an asshole to Lily, yeah. ultimately, and he was... Um, he was. Yeah, it's so strange. Yeah, he I- was bullied by, like, the trust fund babies, the marauders, marauders, however you pronounce that. Yeah. But yeah, he was an asshole. He also was an asshole to Harry... Uh, because he looked like his father and he reminded him of James like but he yeah he wasn't he was an asshat to an 11 year old child I mean that is peak incel behavior like imagine being an asshole to like a baby because you were in love with his mother who you thought friends owned him and his rich as fuck good looking dad sort of whisked um, the woman away from you it's very problematic. Yeah. And I, even initially when so I read um, the books, I didn't really have empathy for Snape. Even after the whole like um, memory episode where you go yeah. into their childhood. Same. Um, but I feel like she tried really hard to make that happen. And she tried really hard to make mm. Snape into like a complex person. But he just comes across yeah. as bitter to me. Yeah, I agree. I just cannot I just cannot with Snape like you know the whole Albus Severus that cringy line I just it did not move me one bit at all I remember being not moved by it back then I'm so glad that it's become like a meme just because of how ridiculous it was yeah but yeah I just I cannot forgive Snape for what he has done yeah is there anything is there any other character or anything else that you have a bone to pick with before we pick our biggest bone with the author herself? Well, um, I don't know if this is the author or the context of the writing itself, but the whiteness in Harry in the Harry Potter universe is really problematic to me. <sighs> I looked this up, actually. So in 2011, 87% of UK's population was white, which means that 13%, so like more than 1 in 10%, was not white. And the fact that the books themselves are so fucking white. Like, I can think of Lee Jordan, Angelina Johnson, Cho Chang, Parvati and Padma Patel. Other than that, are there any POC characters? Maybe like Kingsley Shacklebolt, sure. And he gets to be Minister of Magic, so yay, woohoo, tokenism. But (laughs) other than that, like, it's so strange to me that these worlds were not inhabited by... Because I've lived in the UK and it's a super multicultural world and like people get along really well. Like it's it's a salad bowl. It's not a melting pot because people have, like we talked about in our Oprah episode, people have their own identities and everyone's happy to accommodate. So I think like the the United Kingdom of the real world is a lot more yeah. accepting than the UK of JK Rowling's world. And that has always mm. been a source of... <laughs> 
that's been problematic for me from the start. What do you think about it? I think that J.K. Rowling did not really do a good job with world building, mm-hmm. universe building in general, yeah. because we don't know enough about visiting schools. So we know about this visiting school in the UK. We don't know if it's the only one. So yeah. do, do children from all over the UK come into this visiting school? Can children from outside of the UK apply? How does this work? Are there any wizarding cities? Like we know of Hogsmeade. We don't know whether the Weasleys have neighbors that are wizards. Yeah, the Lovegoods are neighbors, but even they live in, on like another hill across across like from them. Yeah. Uh, we also know that wizards and muggles coexist, but yeah. also like diagonalies in the heart of London. Yeah. <laughs> um, we don't know enough about the wizarding world. Like, how do they live? How do we, how is Hogsmeade a wizarding city where, you know, wizards and witches can be themselves? But we don't know anything else about, like, the wizarding world out there. Like, is the Ministry of Magic controlling the wizards and magic in general over the UK? Or what is it? Like, how does this work? Yeah. You're right. She's very weak on world building. So in that sense, I mean, if we were just to accept that Hogwarts is like for the UK, yeah, there. I mean, it was the representation just did not exist. And for J.K. Rowling to be like Hermione could be black, we ain't Ugh. buying that. J.K. Rowling, we ain't buying that at all. The books talk about her hair. The talk about pale her face. pale face. <laughs> Oh my god, yes. And it's just yeah. so, like, as a person of color, it's so disrespectful, you know? Like, you can't just... Yeah. So, I have a bullet point in my notes which just says, like, retconning wokeness. And it's so yeah. disrespectful to me as a person of color or even as a woman or even as someone who supports, like, yeah. the LGBTQ community to say that, yeah, Dumbledore was gay. Which, honestly, mm-hmm. very, being very fair, I can find some subtext for that. But if there is subtext, then why don't you spell it out? Why do you have to add that as a thing after your books have been completed? Because, you know, the book is supposed to be the end-all, be-all of your creative, you know, work. And and, and then, so the Dumbledore was gay, Hermione could have been black. Well, she could have been, sure. I mean, she wasn't, according to the text that you wrote. But why wasn't she? you know and, and I because also she wanted like, to sell books because That's she wanted to is. sell books absolutely simple and answer at the same time I really like sort of despise Disney for like retconning feminism into their like newer live action movies like Belle being the inventor rather than her father or Nala being yeah. the one who's like putting together the resistance rather yeah. than whatever we talk about this in detail in our movie tropes episode so yes. listeners after this you better <laughs> you best be going and listening to that one <laughs> you best be but yeah so i i despise that but what i despise even more is like um not even doing it not even putting it in your yeah. work in the first place and saying well it could have been well could have been isn't good enough mm. jackie rolling that's just really disrespectful yeah. you either yeah. do it or you don't it's I know we've talked about this before, but also, you know, now that they're remaking so many movies with like, you know, this aura of folkness, like they are, they're remaking Ocean's Eleven with an all-female cast or like, you know, yeah. Spider-Man is now black, which you know, I don't want that. Yeah, I don't want you to reimagine, you know, media that already exists and, you know, insert wokeness into that. I want mm-hmm. you to have stories where... Where people of color actually exist 
Yes. As the protagonist. <laughs> How and hard is it? Honestly, for that to make sense is also super important to me. So I saw this um, show. Have you seen The Haunting of Bly Manor or The Haunting of Hill House? Nope. So The Haunting of Bly Manor is a sequel to The Haunting of Hill House. It's a hugely popular horror show on Netflix. And the second one, it has like this sort of um, in the, um, I'm going to say like 80s, but maybe I'm wrong. But uh, it basically is this um, old timey sort of um house where it talks about the lives of these people and so there's like a black woman who's in charge of the house there's a brown guy um there's two lesbian women and so basically it's like stuffed with wokeness and what annoys me so much about that show is that it's a great show i like it whatever i like mike flanagan who directed it i'm a huge fan of his work but it's so Mm -hmm. stuffed with like forced representation it's contrived to the extent that you know that in the 80s in the UK, the demographics did not yeah. look like that. You know, like one in five yeah. people were not black. Exactly. One in five people were not brown. And so I'm not saying that J.K. Rowling should have stuffed her books with black people and brown people and people of color or, you know, people who had LGBT, um, you know, persuasions. But that it has to at least be realistic. So I think J.K. Rowling goes to like a minus 20 in terms of representation Bly Manor goes to like a plus 20. What I want is realism because saying that, look, you don't, you didn't exist in the 90s in the UK as a brown person is offensive. But also saying that, oh my God, you were like 20% of the population in the UK in the 80s is also offensive because that is not our context. So I wish that people in their attempt to be woke, they actually look into the data because um, putting us somewhere where we weren't makes us feel like Mm. oh yeah you're sure you're represented of course look at this but no we were marginalized at that time so make it realistic and then not putting us in at all is like well there were some trailblazers or some people who were sort of eking their way out and who were being the standards you know they were the trailblazers and what about them and so it's just Mm. like strange I feel like yeah in terms of racial and sort of gendered and in terms of sexual representation people just need to be accurate i agree with it to a point Mm -hmm. that it is good to be accurate but also not all the time Mm -hmm. because um and not in a way that is disrespectful as well yeah because if you are writing like a period piece and you have like a black protagonist Hmm. then you have to talk about you know the shit that they went through at that time yeah but also if they are if it's just like you're reimagining it with a stronger character and with like a story that is fully realized in a way that isn't disrespectful i think that also works yeah Uh, what comes to mind is um maybe this is a bad example and then you can (laughs) you can take it out if you don't like it Mm -hmm. but you know uh, doctor who i was thinking the same thing about martha about Martha and the doctor's yes, wife. That episode was, absolutely. I just think it's one of my favorite episodes in the world. And, you know, they didn't shy away from addressing that Martha is actually not like the badass character she is in her own time. She is, I mean, she is a black woman in this world and black women are not seen as, as you know, being or having the same status as other women. Yeah. Of the time. I was thinking of exactly that episode because I feel like that episode really... For the first time um, in a sci-fi show, I felt represented. And again, Mariam and I talk about this all the time. We are not black women. We are brown women. And we come from a very different cultural context to, you know, black people. Mm -hmm. But I still, 
felt heard because if I were to go back in time, you know, it's very easy for white people to imagine, ooh, if I were to go back in time, I would do this and that and that. But for us, it's always like, well, first I would have to confront my brownness in this previous, you know, whatever century. And yeah, and, yeah the fact that it addressed that made me feel very seen. And it was uncomfortable and yeah. it was, you know, difficult. But mm. the fact that it it sort of somehow validates the fact that this is how far you've come and this is, you know, your ancestors probably would have felt. And it's just sort of really amazing. And so things can be uncomfortable, but they can be meaningful in that discomfort. And and I, I really mm. think about that episode a lot as well because no other sci-fi um, content I've consumed, like be it books or movies, addresses that. And the fact that Doctor Who did that is really fucking amazing. It was Family of Blood. Family. Of, oh, sorry, it wasn't the Doctor's Wife. The Doctor's Wife was the it was the Neil Gaiman episode. Yeah, written by Paul Cornell. Oh, who are you? I like you. <laughs> no, it was the first time that I felt like, brah, this is exactly what would happen to me if I went back in time. Because like people of color don't have the privilege of just imagining because yeah. <laughs> there's so much baggage. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I think now that we are nearing the end of the episode, we really need to address the white elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what, what you would say because I knew there was something coming. I knew it would just not be the elephant. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about our boo. Or ex-boo, the boo that I really loved and I have loved for a really long time. But, you know, <sighs> let's just talk about her. Like, let's talk about how do you feel? Rowling. First of all, I want to know. Let's talk about J.K. We need to talk about J.K. Rowling. Okay. First of all, how do you feel, Momina? How do you feel? I know that you loved her really dearly for the longest time because I remember. Okay. Um. I don't know if I've talked about this before, mm-hmm. but like somewhere in grade eight, we were supposed to do like a, a who do you idolize sort of a speech in front of the class. Oh, wow. And I went in front of the class and I said, I really idolize JK Rowling and I would one day want to meet her. And nobody was really listening to, to me, but you looked at me and said, oh, my God, same. Yeah. And, you know, that that was also one of these moments that we've had together that I really remember. And so just, you know, just from there, I just realized that she is somebody who's super important to you. So I really want to know how you feel, okay. given everything. And maybe you also want to give some context to our listeners, what give, given everything means. Yeah, I would just like to give some context. Firstly, saying that I'm PMSing, so I might cry. <laughs> but oh, no. Rowling... I'm sorry, but J.K. Rowling meant a lot to me. So I love books. I feel like if there's one thing that um, is an identifier for me as a human being is that Momina likes likes books. Momina loves to read. That's my thing in life. People who know me know that I love to read. And Mm -hmm. nobody else in this world can claim credit to that other than J.K. Rowling. These were books that I read when I was 12 years old. I know you were much younger, but I was sort of 11, 12 when I first read these books. And I went through them very quickly. And I remember one day my cousin bought me The Order of the Phoenix and I was in a, on a waiting list um, to get that book because it was so hugely popular that I couldn't just get it. Um, and my cousin surprised me with it and I bawled my eyes out and I have a soft spot for that cousin ever since. 
but um she meant to me basically my love for books my love for reading my love for escapism and understanding like from like a slightly troubled childhood like i think everyone has a troubled childhood but um this means to escape into a world and to make connections with these really sort of complex black and white um and sort of not just black and white but sort of gray moral morally gray characters and it was the first time in my life i felt like i was reading something adult and now obviously that i'm older and i read other stuff i realize that no actually it was a very tamed version of it but so she means a lot to me and i know that she means a lot to so many people she has introduced reading to so many millions of people genuinely mm. and so and and i also love to write and i feel like my love for that was also a consequence of that so this person jk rolling is someone that i genuinely idolized throughout all of my teenage life and and i felt like she created like i i remember in harry potter loves our podcast you know before this one i talked about harry's anger as one of the things that i love yeah. because in young adult fiction you you talked about romance you talked about adventure you never talked about anger and harry was the first character who i saw as having the same anger that i had as a teenager and that was monumental to me that was life changing i felt relevant i felt like i was visible you know and and so i have all of this yeah. baggage where i feel like she really sort of informed my life in that way and then when you hear about her politics and you know mariam and i talk a lot about separating the art from the artist and you know to some extent we both are okay with it i think i would like to hear more about what you think about it in a, in a bit but for me it's hard to separate the art from the artist sometimes and especially with jk rowling because you you know she gave us one of the greatest sort of feminist icons of literature you know hermione granger is like a feminist icon because she is smart and capable and complex and and she's a woman and and that means a lot but man her transphobia is messed up you know she does not consider transgender women as women she thinks that transgenderism is like a sexual dysmorphia she thinks that it's you know trans women having a safe space is taking safe spaces away from quote unquote actual women and and for me it's just so messed up because i when i think of feminism i think of equality i don't think of women and so for me the fact that she thinks that feminism means only standing up for women is so problematic because feminism means equality right and and so i don't know man it's just it's something that actually I can joke about it and I can bitch about JK Rowling but deep down inside it really matters to me that this sort of icon this person that I looked up to so much is so problematic and is so it's just a disappointment you know what I mean I'm very curious to 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 hear what you have to say about it because for me it's like a huge um lesson in you know never meet your heroes never learn too much about your heroes because you will end up disappointed but what do you think you know uh when the last movie came out and she sort of very tearfully gave the speech and this one thing that she said just you know it stuck with me and it's something that really moved me and that's how you know that she has a way with words Hogwarts because whatever she says Hogwarts will always be your home Hogwarts will always be there to welcome you home <sighs> 
Oh, man. Yeah. That's just like, she just knows the right things to say. And even now yeah. that I'm talking about it, I'm getting kind of choked up because, you know, for a lot of us, it really was our home. You know, f- for like, for, you know, children who felt lonely, um, who so- maybe didn't have friends. I was that child, you know, who didn't really have a lot of friends that I related with. Um, you know, I could really find that escape with these books. And, you know, I sort of remember just living in that fantasy and almost kind of believing that I might get like a letter from Hogwarts when I yeah. was 11. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of like the most long-standing friendships that I've made have been because of Harry Potter. I'll just be super like uh, open about it. I mean, the fact that we're here like 16, 17 years later and, you know, just like talking over a podcast for hours and hours, I owe it to Harry Potter. We say it in our intro. (laughs) It's literally in our intro. Yeah. So, you know, just and uh, in a lot of ways, Harry Potter kind of, taught us about acceptance and um, just, you know, loving people and accepting people despite their flaws. Um, it taught us that people are, you know, people are black and white and not everybody makes the right decisions. And sometimes people can be problematic and sometimes, you know, people can be unlikable, but they're still people. Yeah. And so for somebody, for a, for the woman who taught us these values... To then go ahead and write a whole fucking manifesto of hatred against, like, like just, I don't even, for her to write a whole manifesto against, like, a whole bunch of people who are already marginalized enough as is. Yeah. I just, like, that really, I'm not even disappointed. I feel like I'm brokenhearted. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. Yeah. She has broken a lot of hearts (laughs) yeah like it's very easy to hate her and to be sort of vitriolic against her and to say well you've got this wrong and be angry with her be angry with her but yeah yeah, my first instinct is also to just be disappointed to be sort of you know to just it it makes you lose hope in things that you consider bigger than yourself because I felt like Harry Potter always was this sort of place where I could it was a retreat it was escape it was a way to get out of your life and your insecurities especially as a teenager and it was a place of magic Mm. and the fact that she has sort of demystified it to such an extent and she has Mm. basically what I have learned in life is that everything when it comes down to it boils down to politics the politics of the world the politics of the self and her politics are politics Mm. that mine do not align with in a fundamental way and that really it it hurts it really does hurt it's easy to hate her it does hurt that's what i mean sad Yeah. yeah what i was trying to say is that we probably sound really dramatic right now. We do. We and, sound like, um, oh my God, these books were so important to me. <laughs> but I genuinely feel like people, I yeah. think a lot of people will identify with this. And I theme. think a, a lot of people feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people feel that way. It's also one of the top reasons why uh, like Xennials make fun of millennials because of how seriously we take Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But 
a lot of us sort of grew up with this and i cannot think of zennials growing up with something that was so uniting and so globally phenomenal as harry potter yeah. right now i don't think they have anything like that yeah like i i don't think any other generation has had anything like maybe like the beatles for like previous generations but like the fact that oh yeah absolutely it was just absolutely uniting you felt like you were in communion with the rest of the world it's so incredible it's mm-hmm. a, it's so harry potter is more than just the characters the... in the world it's also what um yeah. you got out of it in terms of your experience and relations with people who were like literally thousands of miles away from you and at least we have that because i feel yeah. like whatever else it is at least we have other people who are coming from such different contexts yeah. not brown not female not subcontinental you know whatever the hell but they still they still yeah. recognize that pain and that sort of longing for for this magical world it's incredible yeah i'm thinking of other things like you mentioned the beatles i'm thinking of like what phenomena um in pop culture has really united people and yes the beatles were the biggest uniters of the globe at one point but they were only together for 7 years mhm one direction was a group that people were crazy into and they were sort of these uniters across the globe and they were only active for 5 years and you know bts is one of those uniters of uh, of today and they've only been active for like 7 to 8 years and well, i hope i certainly hope they're active for a lot longer <laughs> as like a fan um but you know knowing that they have to enlist in the army soon who knows what can happen right <laughs> but but, uh, but harry potter has been the uniter of an entire generation mhm and so i cannot discount the kind of you know the cultural Impact. importance that yeah. harry potter has the impact that it has it has had the fact that you know we grew up with it and the fact that we're still talking about it that just yeah. tells you the kind of impact that it has and so for so for, you know just to learn that the person who created that magical world for us is mm-hmm. actually a bigot <laughs> and yeah. actually will voice her opinion against the rights of a certain people is shocking it is hurting and I also find it difficult to separate the art from the artist. Uh, so in the same way, I'm like, can I still watch Woody Allen movies? I certainly <sighs> cannot bring myself to watch Woody Allen movies. I cannot um, either. And so, yeah, but but Harry Potter is just so deeply connected with who I am as a person mm-hmm. that I'm like, okay, well, can I live with the fact that Hatsune Miku wrote Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so messed up. Like I feel like so there's one quote that I think about a lot and it's um it's going to be super cheesy but this is a cheesy episode so whatever. But it says when heroes fall from the sky <laughs> many more will learn to fly. And so mm-hmm. the point of it is that even if the people that you admire let you down there is so much more to look up mm-hmm. to and to expect and anticipate yeah. and I feel like for me now the harry potter experience is deeply tied to the people who have done right by what i believe the message of the books were so people like daniel radcliffe i really admire because yeah. like anytime something shitty i think i think he made the perfect statement 
He's better than Harry Potter. That's true. He's less he's less shitty than Harry Potter. I like him so much more than Harry Potter. That is true. I do too. Um and and part of me tries to like Emma Watson as much as Harry Potter uh, as much as Hermione as well, but part of me gets like bogged down in the white <laughs> feminism trap that I feel like she suffers from. But anyway, that's another point for another day. But yeah, he is really affirming and validating of the trans community. and and so i think what that quote teaches me is that even out of you know if something beautiful is created what you have to look forward to is the beauty that it inspires in other people so in like fans like you and me in the community itself in the actors who were in the movies um in like even i forget what her name is but luna lovegood um she wrote a beautiful piece on it as well and and so all of these like yeah. young people who are coming out defending um uh, the transgender community and really like not giving a shit about um you know putting JK Rowling in her place which is you know her place as like a transphobe as yeah. like a monger of hate and and so i really love that whatever it has spawned it has at least spawned like beauty it has spawned support and uh, mm. inclusion And I and Absolutely. I kind of love that because there wouldn't be you know these like mm-hmm. sort of star power having youth um these millennials these like yeah. young people speaking up about it if they hadn't also been affected by this work that is now like in my eyes tarnished but yeah it's kind of interesting how how you know yeah. it has spawned both love and hate yeah. and we can choose what we want to follow you know over the years um I think I learned actually not even over the years. I learned pretty early on not to idolize anybody. Hmm. You know, and allow everybody the space to be human and make mistakes and still be uh, worthy of being looked up to as like a pop star or somebody important in the media. Um hmm. unless they do something that's super problematic, I think everybody should have the space to make mistakes and be forgiven and to learn from them and to not make those mistakes again. And even if they do, they learn greater lessons from it. But yeah. this one I just cannot be that generous over. This one runs deep. <laughs> it's personal. Yeah. So it's difficult. It is personal. So if you want, I can actually read the thing that Dan Rad said which I think encapsulates my thoughts about separating the separating the art from the artist. Yeah, and if you love Harry Potter and like us if you grew up with it and just you know and you're really struggling with where you stand i feel like danra just said danra just said it he said all the right things he said the things that i really wanted to hear please please i would love to hear it so he said to all the people who now feel that their experience of the books has been tarnished or diminished i am deeply sorry for the pain these comments have caused you i really hope that you don't entirely lose what is valuable in these stories to you If these books taught you that love is the strongest force in the universe, capable of overcoming anything, if they taught you that strength is found in diversity and that dogmatic ideas of pureness lead to the oppression of vulnerable groups, 
if you believe that a particular character is trans, non-binary, or gender fluid, or that they are gay or bisexual, if you found anything in these stories that resonated with you and helped you at that time in your life, then that is between you and the book that you read, and it is sacred. And in my opinion, nobody can touch that. It means to you what it means to you, and I hope that these comments will not taint that too much. And I just think it's beautifully said. Damn, that is beautiful. I actually have tears in my eyes and I feel like everyone else is judging me. But that is beautiful. <laughs> and that is, that is wonderful. It and is beautiful. What a, what a gift Daniel Radcliffe is, no? What a gift. He really is because he just... So he uh, made this statement on the Trevor Project. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just feel like he... He just consoled us in the perfect way that we wanted to be consoled yes. at this point in, in time where we were learning that, you know, a person who has created a world that was so sacred to us <laughs> is actually yeah. a transphobe. Yeah. I love it. I have so much respect for him. And, yeah. and it's weird, isn't it? How, like, the, the world does teach you these messages, like, overtly, I think, like, more subtly, it teaches yeah. you, like, more insidious messages which you have to have the experience of like <laughs> age to actually deconstruct. But it's weird yeah. how someone who yeah. can, who can, you know, um, create a world that is so beautiful in some ways can be so hateful. But I guess, you know, people are complex and yeah. heroes are fucked up sometimes. And yeah, well yeah. done, Daniel Radcliffe. She and warned us. We, we said that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel Ratcliffe, and also J.K. Rowling for creating Dumbledore so that we could be prepared to be betrayed by our heroes. That's true. You did warn us. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> she did warn us. Yeah. yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, this is our lo- last podcast of the year. What a note to end on. <laughs> what a sad note. What a fitting note for 2020. <laughs> I mean, it is sad, but it's also, you know, for me, it was really therapeutic. Yeah. It was very therapeutic. I, it, you know, I, I've learned to accept what was and also kind of, you know, like going forward, I know how to feel about this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because I, I feel like we have sort of hashed out all of our issues with it. And, and, and yeah, I think it's okay to separate the art from the artist sometimes. And, and we can love the world for what it meant to us when we were kids and what it means to us still as adults and and we can say fuck you jk rowling for being a shitty privileged white person who doesn't see vulnerability when it's staring you in the face but yeah that is it yeah and if you and if you still want to read the books because of what they mean to you or still want to like enjoy the stories in whatever format just remember Hatsune Miku wrote Harry Potter, you guys. Duh, everybody knows that. <laughs> Doi. jeez. <laughs> ah, what a right. I feel like this sort of bookends, like, I wish that I know. <laughs> I hope and I know that I will have many, <laughs> many more decades of friendship with you. But I feel like this kind of bookends <laughs> our relationship in a way because it started with Harry Potter. And in 2020, we have sort of, thought of it and analyzed it and deconstructed it and it's all lying on the table and I feel like we can move on (laughs) with other things oh no no (laughs) no with other better things 
Oh man, this really was like that, like like a like a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> But we're gonna come back stronger than ever. <laughs> yeah, watch me revenge dress in the next podcast, you guys. <laughs> oh my god, we're gonna be skinny and beautiful. <laughs> yeah, new year, new me. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do you have any New Year's resolutions? I was literally about to ask you the same thing. Yeah. I never have. uh resolutions i had it once which was to be a little bit more spiritual and that tanked um <laughs> this was a couple of years ago in yeah. 2018 now i really don't i don't i don't do that to myself <laughs> yeah that's probably wise i think because i have also had i i think mine for like the last 3 years was to quit smoking still smoking <laughs> oh. so that didn't oh, work no. out yeah So, but yeah. I have put on like a significant amount of weight. Like I think I've put on something like five uh, um, kg in the last like eight months uh-huh. during COVID since I've been working from home. So I guess mine's gonna be just to be healthier, not specifically to lose weight, but just to be healthier in life. And yeah, yeah. but like everybody gained weight in twenty twenty. Quarantine weight is a thank you. thing i shouldn't be saying that as a fitness instructor but you know whatever this is what well, i'm going to say it. <laughs> yeah covid 19 pounds i mean they're not lying um and, and i feel quite sick because i feel like a lot of people are using this time to be productive and to be healthier and thinner and whatever i'm not doing any of that i've just been spiraling but yeah i think for 2021 <laughs> my goal is to just be healthier happier and sort of make an effort at you know at making good decisions i think okay i have a goal for 2021 ooh what is it i hope that this time next year we are still recording a podcast oh man yeah that makes me smile for you yeah yeah cuz this is so much fun maria because i feel like i have gotten to know you so much more than i think we ever same had you know have, have gotten to know each other and it's also really fun and it's a distraction <laughs> in this sort of like it is it's the best idea we've ever had as a duo it is <laughs> it's really fun. yeah good time same so yeah next time we see you it's going to be <laughs> a whole new world <laughs> <laughs> truth Okay, so this brings us to the end of our podcast. So yeah, I guess um, follow us on all our socials, you guys. And where can they find this podcast, Momina? They can find it on. Well, we're hosting on Anchor, but you can find it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, everywhere you get your podcasts. And yeah, please write to us. We would be very excited to hear from you. Um, and yeah, and super exciting. Twenty twenty one. Here we come. Here we come. So bye guys. Happy holidays and happy new year. Stay, Stay obsessed. obsessed.